Hello and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project podcast for the 1st of November 2020. This is your host, Nigel Creaser, and today we've got Craig, well, second part of Craig McKay's interview, the AI Shark guy. But first, a bit of news. Well, last week I uh, mentioned that I was toying with the idea of producing another book, and uh, it's a very short one actually, but I've kind of gone through the last week or two um, and produced uh, my first draft, which I've started on the edit. I am hoping to make it available to you guys sometime during next month. I've got a, a cover, I've got to write a blurb, um, and I've got to kind of correct all my typos and tweak the flood. Uh, it's not going to be a major tone, and uh, but hopefully some of the uh, points I've got in there will um, sort of worked for me over the past. Well, I've, I've, I've found and, and made work over the last 30 years um, will benefit you guys as well. Um, so I'm trying to get that done by, let's like say, beginning of December. So once that's done, I will uh, uh, let you know. Um, it'll be on pre-order, and there'll be for you guys listening. There'll be a chance to get a free copy. Um, so that's that bit of news. Other things are going on. Well, it's the first of November, and for those who don't know, that's uh, the beginning of a, a kind of a national novel writing month competition which I will enter uh, again it's not you don't win a prize as such you just it gives you a target to try and write a number of words um, I did it last year it helped a lot uh, it keeps you focused on a daily basis so I'm gonna give that a bash and uh, see where that goes I'm also uh, in the process of lining up a conversation with someone who will hopefully come on the show and talk to you about the DISC behavioural model. Um, it's a model that I've found really useful and helpful um, over the years, discovered it way, way back. Um, and uh, something I mentioned on the show with regulars, the Manager Tools uh, podcast, where they use it a lot for a lot of their um, how to help you. Um, change your style to suit the situations. Uh, really, really, really useful. So hopefully, probably in the new year now, but I'll probably just trail that one. Um, later this month in November, we'll have um, Adrian Belegion, and uh, telling us about teams at Swear. And uh, at the end of the month, we will have Ricardo Vargas, who um, was, uh, I interviewed earlier in the year, background interview we've got this year uh, this time um, just to find out that history of him and where he came from um, and then I've got Sarah Hoban uh, we talk about productivity which I'm going to fit in around um, the next few weeks so we've got some great content even if I say so myself um, uh, from our, some great guests over the next few weeks leading up to, to Christmas um, 
And I, I think that's all the news there is, really, to chat about. Um, yeah, so let's uh, let's flow on to part two with uh, Craig McKay, and I'll speak to you later. We talked about your sort of bigger, biggest, largest, most significant piece of work and the big major learning that you got there. Um, what in this career of yours, your illustrious career, is your biggest screw up? <laughs> and, and, and what did you learn from that one as well? <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah, I have screwed up um, many times. Uh, I've done worse than that. Uh, I actually trying to think of one. <laughs> There's one that's you know, like really, really obvious, but since the daftest thing, I was head of uh, PMO for, uh, uh, you know, actually a huge, huge, huge part of one of the uh, major retail banks. Uh, it's probably the biggest role I had at, uh, in terms of responsibility um, at the point. And uh, the biggest group was I made a stupidest mistake um, and I sold a 10 million um, business case and it was only actually worth one. It was purely because of a, a keying error on Excel, which I copied and pasted into many other Excels and into many Word documents, and and that that went for a long time. Um, so that was a, that was a big screw up. Uh, actually, what did, what, did, what did you learn from that? Uh, don't copy and paste all the time from Excel and use proper systems. Um, no, I, I, interestingly, when it came to to, to light, hey, obviously that was a huge huge panic for me. Yeah. Um, and what what I actually I did learn, and actually I didn't think of this you know, until I just read it, it was you know I I could have been hung to dry in that I could have lost my job. It was it was quite significant at the time. There was a lot of pressure, but we then had to be creative because the thing we still needed we still need to make those ten million pounds um, of savings uh, efficiently. What actually it taught me was how to quickly really 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 pivot a portfolio and actually find new levers because the thing we started to do was right i just miscalculated somewhere we started projects and we made the wrong assumptions but we still had to do it in corral so there's no point uh you know making excuses no point you know you know, uh, you know trying to def- <laughs> hide my mistake or anything so and, and actually we still did it uh, and you know i had to own up to my error but we actually went out and we it actually made us be a little bit more creative than we were before um, I think, and we pulled again. I had to pull many people in to try and find different efficiencies we could be making, um, you know, and find you know, interesting synergies in different departments we hadn't thought of. So it probably made me work hard and be more creative um, at that time in actually defining change and stuff. But again, it it it, it probably ended the outcome we started to do regardless. Yeah. So. Um, obviously, we had put together a fixed plan and some projects, and we thought we could do it. That was all done by a major miscalculation, which meant we actually had to really, really quickly think of stuff. Which, again, comes to okay, as long as we know what we're trying to achieve, there's different ways of doing it. We can pull different levers, we can try different things. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I knew I learned that, but they, we still got to the outcome, so at least it was a good thing. Um, but yeah, I've probably, I actually think, you know. One of the things I'd probably say is, and without having many you know, rash, uh, clear examples, is probably what you said, Nigel, was I do remember a point where I started to get those senior project manager and program manager titles, um, and I started to move up the career ladder and get bigger things given to me, and you felt like, okay, I'm working for the director, and I've got this big thing to do, and I started to bang the table um, and try to force change through, and there was definitely a point in there that 
there's a number of things. So I just disenfranchised teams. I got change done, um, but no one felt happy doing it and people weren't learning through it. And there was a probably, there was a, you know, I probably won't go through them all, but there's a number of screw-ups there when you go, you know, see just getting things done um, by force. One, probably meant it wasn't the best solution anyway. Um, but two, no one learned from it. No one enjoyed it. It wasn't a great people experience. You know, but I took on the pressure and thought I was a big senior project manager. That's probably the biggest screw-up I ever did. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely learned from that situation that one, you can do it, but it's not pretty. It's not nice. No one learns from it. And nobody wants to work with you again. Um, so yeah, those are probably those my biggest group in life as well. I was thinking I was a, uh, thinking I was the the thing. I was it in project management. It was. Yeah, I think I think, I think all managers and, and, and everyone in a, in, a, in a leadership position um, can has got to be. And I, I I I think the ego is it, unless set for a very few people there is an ego with all of us and it all does uh, sometimes it, it, it can run away with itself um even if it's a little bit it still run away i think it's something we all do yeah so flipping around to something a bit more positive put, put a smile smile back on your face <laughs> what well, with all of these deliveries what would you say is the proudest project that the, the, the delivery that's made you um feel that warm feeling you stepped away from that thing thinking yeah i've done good here yeah there's one uh, i think it mentioned. i did i did a project where it it was really interesting it was it was a, a supply chain project and it was actually about in negotiating lots of contracts it was, it was it was basically a contract management project and it doesn't seem that sexy <laughs> that's actually quite dull um but there was a whole bunch of them going through renewal. So it just needed management of contract negotiations, renewals and other stuff. And what we're also trying to find, again, you know, efficiencies and in, in, in better rates with major suppliers. Um, but you actually, we got to one of them, uh, and it was weird because you were in negotiations. It was a strange project manager role, but we were, were in negotiations with uh, one of the major security firms that were doing the, the management of um, cash movement between, mm -hmm. between branches. And there was just an impasse, like you know, on on the you know the, the senior managers on the side of the retail bank were just not negotiating. They weren't, they, you know, the, the security firm again weren't coming in. Nobody was negotiating with good intentions, and everybody was trying to um, trip each other up, and, mm -hmm. and 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 they all had defendable positions and stuff. And it wasn't again. They wanted they had to work together. Um, so interestingly, I so I went away and actually looked at. You know, we had loads and loads of it, you know, previous data about their performance stuff, and the whole thing was based on, you know, how much cash can you have in a van versus how much cash can you keep in a branch, how efficient you can get between branches, and so you know, a whole interesting. And I actually went and found an analyst, and we went and modelled all the delivery paths that they could be taken, and came back, and we actually came back with this model that nobody could sort of argue, probably could, it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't the most robust thing in the world, but we kind of became data-driven in the decision before we even thought of data visualization, and we could model all the different routes in different regions of the country and say, well, actually, if you did this route planning and did this and we, we changed these limits to the van, we think this is more optimal, so how about we work on this basis and you and we make this a charge rate? So actually, what we created was a model that everybody could work together to find the best thing that meant actually the security firm could deliver the service much cheaper because actually a much more efficient route so everybody was happy uh, so it was a management and 
I think that was one of the proudest things. Was it was just, well, let's come at this creatively again, and let's, how do we bring people together? And when everybody was just being, I don't know, um, subjective and, and biased in their own position, um, how do you create something we can all you know, be a bit more data-driven around and, and be a bit more uh, quantitative about? Um, and that was one of them. It was a huge thing, actually. It made huge savings, but actually also it didn't disenfranchise the supplier. Because actually yeah. they still had their margins and stuff. Uh, that was and and it was something that you know I I didn't even know was possible. And we just went and found you know uh, and I, I was a you know BA in those days, and we just you know mapped some stuff out, and it was it was it was good, and I loved it. Brilliant. That it, that kind of I can't remember the phraseology where obviously you've got both those organisations and they're negotiating, and they've got those closed minds. Yep. And there's an and there's a closed mind and open mind phraseology i don't know what it is i've seen me uh, multiple times on linkedin i'm sure and that obviously you and the guys you were working with there kind of stepped away from that and kind of didn't have that closed in um uh, i'm not paying more than this i would need to make yep. this margin and that that looking outside of that and I, I, it reminds me also of a story from uh ups in the states where they changed using Google Maps when it was the early part of the Google Maps stuff came out. They, mm. they um, used it for, and it may not be true story. It may just be one of these uh, rumored stories. It may not be UPS. It might be someone, whatever. But they, someone on their routing decided to route all the deliveries so that um, they only turned right. Right. So essentially what it meant was that they didn't stop at stoplights yep. and then were sat there for a period of time for as long or at junctions or whatever and they didn't use fuel as much and they were able to move quicker because they were turning right and they weren't having to get cross traffic which kind of sit there and go well oh, yeah obviously and then they go well no it's not that obvious the same sort of yeah. thing you're talking about there i imagine is that 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 rerouting and thinking about it is something that you someone can come up with and go oh yeah why didn't we all yeah. think of that and it, and it just just it's that um opportunity thinking or whatever it's called yeah and i think i think that's why i think i think it's probably like almost all of us do projects and do changes because like we we want to find the solution we also want to find those happy mediums in between we want to make as many parties as possible successful and finding those things that be creative i think that's the best thing about project management is when you do, you know, just bring a different lens to it. You bring a different thinking, and you 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 challenge the assumptions, and then actually, and I think that's a that's the job a project leader, you know, project manager should, should be, yeah. um, as opposed to just you know delivering a thing that they've been told to do. Your know, job is to try and find optimal solutions and bring you know, people together and actually challenge the thing that we've been asked to do, and you know, and, and 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 bring different thinking to the table and. You know, it's not always possible, but when you do it, you know, it's, 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 you know, that's the highlight of your career when you do it, and even in small ways. Yeah, brilliant. So, uh, and it, it, actually, the next question I've got here, you may actually say it's that one that we've talked about, is that what what is that, rather than a project delivery, was there anything that you've done in your career which you'd say was your proudest achievement, whatever that is, not necessarily the delivery itself of the project or the outcomes, but during that that period? Uh, yeah, I think that you know, that would be one. I think there's lots of things like that of doing. So there's all things I've been just proud of when I've like I've been 
you, you find yourself in situations where you've been hands-on in, in a baggage hall at 4 a.m. in the morning trying out new hand scanners for a new system with the baggage handlers. And yeah, actually, that kind of makes that's some of the proudest stuff you do because you go, yeah. you know, you're in there doing it. But I think my, my biggest proudest project stuff has always been people-related. It's like, it, it's, you know, people that learn from a project and, and actually it's been the stepping stone to career. I've got so many, uh, you know, good friends and, and, and ex-colleagues that have been involved in projects that, you know, not, not, not necessarily I was responsible for, but they, you've, they've started off there and that was their, their, their stepping stone to the career. They found something in them. They, they learned a new technique and, you know, they, they moved quickly from being maybe the business SME that got thrown into the project to all of a sudden becoming a business analyst and moving up a career. And now they're data analytics in their heads of, uh, and I think my, you know, my proudest uh, project achievement has always been the team um, and seeing people and mostly people actually accelerating their careers ahead of me, <laughs> which I'm not sure why that happens, but um, you know, good, good I, I, mentors that, that's the result of a good mentor, obviously. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, I think that is my always one of my proudest achievements and projects is when I actually I've seen people, you know, career advance and them get something or they find something else about themselves they didn't know while delivering a project. Um, I think it's always really cool cool brilliant so next question i've got um, and before we start leading into the the, the the meander down to the end of the interview um we kind of got to go back to the intro really mm -hmm. and and the the, the bold uh, claim that you make in your in your uh, linkedin profile and things like that that um you've got the answer on how to use data to stop projects failing now yep. Um, well, I know we've talked about this before and at some point we will dive deeply into this and have a good session um, as one of the Saturday brunch interviews. Yep. Um, but just kind of as a, a potted view or, or, or however long it takes really, um, what, what is all this Shark Tower AI stuff? Uh, yeah, obviously you talk stuff. <laughs> yep. I think quite simply, I think it's about just being data driven and, and you know, taking Shark Tower and what we're trying to do with Shark Tower, you know, um, you know, so out of the context of the platform, it's, you know, the, the base principles tend to be data driven. So one, one of the reasons I got really, really frustrated by projects and, and, you know, I was doing some big delivery assurance programs on those, you know, 750 million pound projects. Is, yeah, I was, I would go in, it'd take me months to find out why a project was failing. And I, you know, and you'd be in speaking to, you know, we'd have multiple vendors. You know, there, was one, there was one project that we had 350 people working on it at the same time. We had, you know, two major vendors. We had a software vendor provider. We had, you know, internal teams um, from both the sort of business change side, the retail change side, and the IT functions. And everybody had a different view. Uh, you know, even in the organization, in the same company, the IT team, the IT team had a different version of Clara's than, than the uh, retail change team or the business change team. And they're on the same project and they weren't talking to each other. Uh, and, and then you try and find out, well, what's the real plan? And everybody's work, working on plans on a page. And you know, they're spending hours recreating project plans and putting them into PowerPoint. And they're moving them about visually to try and create it and recolor you know, circles to be read. And no one... No, no one was tracking anything really about delivery. There was, you know, there was a project plan that was just the governance framework and milestones. Then I'd speak to one team and they'd be sitting with a, oh, this is our plan over here. And actually it was just an Excel. Then I'd go to another team over here and they say, oh, actually we're trying to be a bit agile. And they've got post-it notes at the end of the Kanban board, which is great. I love 
visual management. But it, it was just that frustration. And then everything you realize is by gut instinct. But it's, it was also the stress of it. You realized how stressed like the program leads were and then the project director, because everybody's making it up to an extent. And then they're getting asked constantly, well, can you deliver this faster? Why are you, why are you late? Why are you slipping? You know, you know, what's the certainty of it? What, what's the real status? And so they kind of have, they're just constantly firefighting and, and they're also making loads and loads and loads of micro decisions every day, but they don't really have any basis to do it. So that's a really stressful situation to be in. And you can just see it in the behavioral psychology, bit, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, you just see everybody's behaviors become counterintuitive uh, to what they're trying to do. And that just used to first me, you know, it take me, you know, as I say, three months to do it. So, you know, the basis is how do we just become more data driven? You know, we, how do we become less subjective? Um, and, you know, and we don't, we're not very good in projects at capturing data and, um, and we're not very good at writing the real thing down to start with. And most of the data we look at is retrospective because it's reporting. So we'll look at what happened and then we'll take it to, say, the weekly steering meeting. Then we'll elevate that up to the, you know, the governance board. Uh, and by the time you've actually tried to make any deci real decisions, the information's four or five, you know, two, two or four weeks out of date. And then everybody tries to make a decision on it and nobody will actually make a decision because they say, well, actually, I can't trust the data because that's put that report's out of date. So how can we become like more data driven? And, and you know, first of all, is just trying to get to, you know, against, and it's, it's the age old, how do we get to single points of view? How do we have more collaborative connected systems? We don't have any excuse for not doing that now because we can do it in every other industry. We do it in every other practice. The marketing team are absolutely data-driven, right? They know the propensity of customers to buy, to click, to do everything. They know exactly what happens in every single email campaign and everything else, right? So, um, but project management has become the least data-driven part of any organization or any change going on. So that's, our, that's my big thing. It's like, how do we get back to that? And it's a little bit about uh, you know, when all of us started in project management. Right? When we started in projects, we used to have a project team that was a dedicated project team. And we kind of knew what we were doing because you know, we weren't doing the, you know, the most sophisticated or um, um, ambiguous thing ever. We kind of knew what we were doing. We had a fixed budget. And also the world wasn't disrupting every two seconds. So we kind of got time. And we used to get time to finish a project without the world changing in front of us. And when we did that, we kind of knew what we're doing. We knew our team. Our team were local, were acquainted. So you had, you know, as a project manager, you were intelligent. You had intimacy with your team. You know, who, you knew who to kick up the ass. You knew who to give a cake, cake to to reward them. And you know almost everything everybody was doing inside out. But now we we don't have a clue anymore because our project teams have got so much bigger. They're dispersed. They're dispersed all over the place. We have too many different parties involved, working on different systems. But also the world is changing all the time constantly changing so uh, the thing we're doing is having to be pivotal and innovative all the time so everything's ambiguous it's disruptive so you know how do we get back to having that sort of small project team intimacy intelligency how do we do that at scale uh, and the only way we can do that is is with data uh, i believe and then actually by then start to apply you know machine learning and everything else to that data so we can actually infer things that we can't understand or we can't see and fast enough so you know Predictive analytics that can tell us, you know, actually puts the likelihood of you know, of this delivery in terms of you know, project health or slippage or anything else. But even simple things like you know, natural language uh, processing to understand team sentiment. You know, so one of the things that we do in Shatter is probably one of the most powerful things um, is just analyze all you know textual data, 
So whether that's the way you write your project status reports, whether it's the way you write tasks, activities, comment on them. Um, and we have spent years tagging it and getting all the project lexicon of what word you trust in projects or not. And then just prying good old uh, NLP techniques to it. And then seeing what the engagement of the team is. And not, and not obviously pointing at people, but pointing at what bits of work are causing that. Because as you know, generally people become disengaged because they don't understand the work or they don't believe it. it's possible or it's overloaded them. So, you know, we can do that. We can actually see all the textual analysis going on and say, okay, this bit of work here is actually causing the biggest impact to your team engagement. And we all know that if you lose the team, you're going to lose the project. That's, that's the key thing. So, you know, that's where we start to use data and machine learning and, or, you know, and, and, and I don't like to really talk about artificial intelligence. I think really what, we, what we're trying to do is just augmented intelligence just now. So give, give those extra insights to project managers again so they can feel in control again. They can have the intimacy and intelligence again. So they know where to go look uh, to try and avoid failures and stop being surprised. Because I think if you speak to every project manager today, they hate, that's the biggest pain. Everybody I speak to, you know, in many forums I speak to or customers I speak to, they just hate being surprised. They always feel like there's something about to explode, yeah. and they're they, you know, from bottom up and from top down. You know, a director finds out about it before they do. So project managers feel so vulnerable at the moment. So that's my passionate plea. Of I think you know, data can, and that's the thing I'm trying to solve. Brilliant. Thank you for that. It's it, and it kind of explains something because I saw something something on a um, uh, post from you. I think it might have been even on um, your integrations with Jira. And I was thinking, why do you do that? And that obviously from the point of view of if you're managing Kanban balls on, on Jira or you're managing support tickets or whatever, getting that commentary and in there. And if you've got that, I guess, from Slack channels and things like that, to help you do that sort of thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Jira, and, and we've all seen this in projects, right? Especially nowadays where everybody is kind of forced to go agile <laughs> without fully understanding, is it right fit? But, you know, so, and then we, we throw all the work into Jira. Jira's a bit unstructured when it comes to bigger projects. Mm. It's great for, you know, it's great for DevOps, great for development teams. Um, but actually, that's where development teams should work. So don't tell a development team to come and work in another platform or copy their information over somewhere else. But let's, okay, we, we, we make sure we integrate with that so that we yeah. can see the work they're doing, but we see at, at sort of the right level for a project manager or product owner or anyone to see it. But also, as you say, we get to see that sentiment analysis and everything else, so we really get to understand the pulse that's going on. Um, and I think that's the, that's the key bit is, I think you know, it's one of the challenges, I think it's, really just, it's one of the challenges of our platform and any, any, any tooling is you know, making sure that we do right fit project management. Every team needs to work in a slightly different way. There's not one methodology that works for yeah. everything. Um, and that's, that's the key. If you can get teams to work in the way they need to, but get the data connected, as opposed to trying to force them into one way of working, one tool, one methodology, and then all you're then doing is actually faking the data to make it fit the methodology or make fit the tool. Um, so yeah, that's it's, it's one of the reasons why we're quite big on that integration ecosystem as well. Yeah, because that's got to, it's got to. I think the and I imagine obviously with the the increase in remote working and the the likelihood for the the continued remote working for, I th well my own personal view is is that a large much larger proportion of people work remotely we've seen big organizations saying right everyone can work from home from now i think there will be more of those organizations where we've got information workers like us who can do yep. that because it makes absolute sense that going into a building 
40, 50, 60 miles away from Will House, um, yep. getting up two hours earlier, arriving two hours home, two hours later and working less. It just, none, none of it makes sense except for that interaction with the individual and that ability for you, like you say, you can walk into an office, your team of 20 people and you can feel the tone. You've yep. got a group of people shaking their heads around one desk. You, you know, oh, what's broken. Yeah. Uh, you, you and, and, or you've got, and you can see all that happening. And yep. if you've got those same four engineer experts, now they're on the Slack channel, they're on Jira, they're on Teams, they're on whatever tool. And you as the EM, even more so now, I think, because you won't be able to visit some of the hubs of development because they won't be there. You won't see that thing to worry about. Now you're not yeah. going to be able to solve it. You can see it and you can go, guys, do, is it all right? And they'll be going, yeah, don't worry, we've got it sorted or it's going to be we might have a problem and you, you say there are no surprises thing you get that from that yeah. interaction and and the, Absolutely. other than sitting watching everybody's news uh, <laughs> feed that they're between and being involved in every conversation you're not going to get that sentiment and I, I can see where you where that the ability to get that and i think there's a i've seen there's a, a few organizations that were looking to implement it for that kind of thing for the wrong re from a HR point of view when we went into the lockdown to make sure people were working rather yeah. than understand p how people are because I know there was a, an organization one of the security organizations that um, I've spoken to before now and they do it through email voice or chat yep. all of it to get and you can you can decide which way it is but it, the intent and the, their pitch was to allow from a HR perspective to judge where people are under pressure, to judge where people need help, to judge where you've got, like say, systems or services or things that are, are causing people problems. But then, the, but then there's always the Machiavelli use of something like yeah. that. That's I think we're we, and I, we're always very careful, and it's one of the things I'm, I'm very passionate about. Is I think I always go look at the work, look at the work, and then care about the people. So. You know, it's it's you know generally it's the work that will cause it. So yeah, yeah. and if you go and look at the work and try and sort the work, then people will follow, um, um, and, and 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 be more engaged and be happier and have a better work life balance and all those good things. Um, I think don't uh, you know people performance performance management is is, is archaic wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. You look at output, look at look at output, look at work, look at that, and then that will tell you a lot about people. And if you go and sort the work, people will generally be happier. Um, now one of the things I would say is. That, yeah, you know, we we obviously talk a lot about being data driven and AI and everything else. I think one of the big things that again, you know, underpins the work we we do in Shadow is again, it, but actually a lot of it's about just being simplistic, and it's not even the sophisticated side of it. It's actually going back to making change in projects simpler, and going back to how it felt like when everybody was connected. So we're big on making sure that. You know, nothing we nothing that we can do in Shadow, you know, is connected to a business outcome, you know, and a key result, so that actually the business owners. OKRs and business routes, they know every single project and scope they get delivered against it. So if they change it, they can then question why is this project still running? But also everybody in the project knows exactly why they're doing it all the time. And that's even more important in a connected, you know, a remote world now as well, where we're not walking the floor and we're not seeing stuff in it. So I think some of the stuff is just actually making it simpler again. You know, yeah. pro you know the stuff we're doing is complex enough. So actually delivering it should be a lot simpler. Cool. So let's, let's, let's make people work a little bit easier, make them connected and and I think, again, that will help with the data problem because then people will be more likely to 
you know, input real information and do stuff. But so some of it is just get back to those principles of connect people and stakeholders and be clear on why we're doing stuff. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, it doesn't seem like rocket science, but we kind of missed that somewhere along the line. Yeah, and I think because, and, and I read an interesting blog today, um, one from one of my colleagues, well, not someone I knew, but from a Capgemini colleague, which talking about um, 20 years from now, and I don't necessarily agree with everything that they said and where they, they see it uh, 10 or 20 years from now, where we'd see the office environment and uh, talking about the fact that you'd be having, um, and we experienced this earlier today, where I'm trying to get hold of you on Skype and it ends up yeah. going to Teams and it didn't allow us to record. But, um, and the way you talked about it is rather than forcing um, a team of, of circles into a square pet, round peg, square hole, whatever the, the yep. saying is, if you've got a team that loves using Slack and they're really good at using Slack and that's how they use it, telling them they've got to use Teams is going to irk them and slow them down and, and impact on their behavior. But being able to say, right, five of the team like Slack, one of them likes Teams, join them two together, doesn't matter which, and they talk about the fact once you get some interoperability between these um, uh, tools rather than exclusivity with these tools, if you put it on yep. a Jira board, it shows up on your Trello board and your Microsoft Planner board. Yeah, it's, it doesn't, it just because I like using that one, that's the one I like looking at. It may, and, and that you've got features in there that you won't have, but that might be the way you use it. And being able to do those kind of things, uh, and I, I listening to that, and, and like you were saying about the interoperability sort of stuff, and yep. being able to pull from uh, an ecosystem, it's actually joining those ecosystems mean that people don't have to use tools that they don't particularly like. And, and he made the real case is a, it's a generational thing is that someone like me, it's taken a little while to get into Teams. I was all right with Skype. Hmm. Yeah, I get a little while into Teams. I like the way that I can do IM in with Skype. Loved it. Got into it as soon as I could. The way I that that Teams doesn't leave a pop up when someone's IM due bugs me because then I don't know. So I want I, and and some people don't like and and they all have, everyone has a little foible on which they prefer to use. Yeah, um, uh, I think I think and we all like yeah, and I think we all form habits really fast. Like you know, even. Yeah, as you say, it took me, you know, at first when I was overwhelmed by Slack, I was like, oh, I hate this, but you know, I, I love it now, right? And I've got it working and, I, you know, it's great. I, to, again, to change, I'll, I'll, it's all about habit forming. And I actually think that, you know, it, that's one of the challenges in project management. I don't think project management and project delivery learns as it goes mm -hmm. uh, as well. So, again, everybody's got a fixed way of working. So, I think, yes, you need them interoperability and you need people to be able to work in the moment, but actually they also need to learn, is this actually working? Now, is it working for that team? Is it working for collectively? How do we change and iterate it? And I've seen so many programs and projects that just blindly keep delivering in the same way because they go, well, this is the methodology. We say we're yeah. going we to work this way. We say we're agile. And actually, again, well, that's great, but again, it's learning system and we know how hard that is, but I think you know, we all know when we try to take on new technology because we form habits so fast and a project, project, um, you know, managers are some of the worst for that. Is that this is where I've always delivered projects. I'm like, oh, yeah, but like, I do actually learn as you go. Is it working? Is it working for the team? And you're trying new things. You know, you know, you know let that team work in a different way and see if they're more productive. Not everybody has to work the same way. Um, but we're very blinkered when we we we, yeah. we start projects. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a it's a challenge. But I think I think we'll see the, you know, certainly the 
generation and the way the the way that work is changing in the future workforce. I don't think people accept that anymore. And I think a little bit of what we're talking about, uh, obviously people, you know, you know, the students coming through, I think they just expect a new way of working where actually it, it's constantly evolving, it's changing the different mixes of technology, you use the best tools in the time that you need it for. Um, and, and I think we're now getting challenged in this. And I do see it even in big incumbent traditional organizations where actually, you know, the, you know, the new generation workforce is just forcing it to say, this is no longer acceptable, I'm not going to work here. <laughs> if I'm forced to use these tools. So they now come to the job saying, well, you know, I can't do my job if you're going to give me this, uh, you know, fixed tool set. So I think it's changing. It's for the better. Brilliant. So moving on to my, back to my script again. Um, you've got some, I can, uh, for, for listeners, um, uh, Craig's got his video running. So um, I can see a bookshelf behind him. What was, yeah. the, what was the last project-related book that you read? Oh, well, <laughs> Nigel, I've got the project management and the sketches. Uh, by, <laughs> this was Chris not set up. <laughs> I, 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 you did say you did get it, but I didn't, uh, I didn't imagine so, for a minute you'd read it. No, I have been reading that, um, uh, I, um, which is good fun. Actually, there's, there's, there's two as well. I think, there's the, I think one which I think is we all... Uh, Love uh, is Project Management, It's All Bollocks uh, by Susie Pamela True and Peter Taylor. Uh, I just, there's so many bits of that that you know, obviously just resonate so so well, but I actually had a much better articulation of the change that we need to make in project management and actually this sort of different mindset, which I think is again that open mindset and growth mindset to say, well, we, you know, let's challenge the norm. You know, we've, we've created lots of, lots of expertise and methodologies and other stuff that have not really helped. So, you know, again, let's get back to what's the point of project management. It's not about the project, it's about delivering. And I think it's a great book done in a hugely humorous way, but honest way. Um, but actually it's got really, you know, really great analogies and great pa uh, parables about uh, about what we should really be focusing on uh, in, in delivering stuff. So I love that. Um, and, you know, um, and one actually I've just got recently, Data Driven Project Manager, which is good because actually, you know, obviously it's what we try to deliver, yeah. um, by Mario Van Hoich. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but yeah, Data, Data Driven Project Manager, statistical battle against project obstacles. Uh, very good if you want to start creating some uh, of your own models and, and other stuff. And actually, you know, quite, quite a lot of the stuff that underpins the work we do. Um, but that's actually a very good book if you want to start getting into um, predictive modeling for, for project delivery. That's good. Brilliant. Cool. And thank you for the plug. Um, I'll slip the fiver uh, through uh, <laughs> Zoom later. Um, what was the last project podcast you listened to, if you listen to podcasts as a, as a, a method of consuming information? Yeah, I, I, I don't actually um, listen to podcasts too much because actually, you know, um, Interestingly, I only recent podcast of Fallen Asleep, which is uh, an <laughs> ironic thing because you know, I, I, interest, I, I have so much you know, noisiness in my, my, my head that I actually need a podcast to go to sleep. So I listen to things uh, that are actually science podcasts and everything else that should be really interesting, but don't retain it all um, and fall asleep. So you know, actually, it's, it's, it's something, I, I, it's all books, actually, your yeah. podcasts, blogs and other stuff like that. I, I dip in and out. Yeah. Um, and, but actually, I, I'm a big uh, you know, avid reader of books, and I, I can go consume. I probably buy 
you know, two or three books on lean projects, product development, everything. And I can just just dip in and out them and skim read them really, really fast. Um, so yeah, it's probably, you know, I have to say I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to uh, podcasts and blogs. I just can't keep up. Um, and probably because I have to remove myself away from, you know, technology because uh-huh. I sit on it all day long. Uh, so actually, I, I kind of like to consume good old uh, written books um, and, 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 you know, that are tangible because it gets you out of that detox from technology a little bit. Yeah, I think I, I found that uh, in this, again, we're so in this in this pandemic and stuff is that um, it, you get those longer days, you get a very busy day. And, and you know, I've had days where I'm, in, certainly in the last couple of weeks, where stopping for a decent break um, during the day has kind of been difficult because of different meetings going on and you're getting five minutes, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes maybe. I find myself yep. at the end of the day still running and still going and kind of thinking, and I, and I noticed that um, energy level is still, that, that, and that stress level is still going and it's difficult to yeah. uh, bring it down and sitting and having a beer or having a gin every night is, is not the right answer and trying no, to no, um, pull that away. And I've kind of recently started going back, through, well, well, introduced my daughter to um, the Terry Pratchett books. Oh, good, um, yep. And so she, we were going to, I was going to reread them. Unfortunately, she devours books. <laughs> yeah. And so she's overtaken me and I'm catching, trying to catch up with her. So in the last week or so, I found just sitting and, and reading for 20 minutes is, and, and, and that's just taken me, uh, really takes that, winds that brain activity down massively. And as you Yeah, say, I think I've definitely found it with the, obviously the, greater remote working and home working and you know you know it's probably made me consume less online uh, content mm. because i was doing so many um you know webinars and zoom meetings and, and yeah. meetups and stuff like that over that which actually now says okay well let's go back you know go back to some books and stuff i have to say one of the probably probably for most content i cover you know whether it's a um, podcast or videos or youtube stuff and they actually they share a lot of their hackathons and do a lot of blogging is uh you know, Martin Paver and the guys at Projecting Success because oh, they're yeah. very much in looking at, you know, how do we, you, and they look at, you know, obviously big complex construction projects and how would be data driven at that. Uh, and obviously they lead the way, you know, lots of that stuff. So I think, that, you know, that's probably the one um, in terms of content and, 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 and videos and stuff, especially on LinkedIn and stuff, but they also share a lot of their outcomes for the hackathons they do and stuff. Uh, I find, you know, I find that stuff fascinating. Brilliant. Last couple of questions. Go for what, it. What is your top tip um, to a seasoned PM? So someone who's been out there doing 10 years, 15 years, whatever, been it, been it they've done it, they, they've realized actually this is what I'm doing. <laughs> it isn't like, <laughs> when I'm not giving it a try, I'm kind of, I'm doing this. What is the one thing that you would say, look, this is what you should think about to um improve or keep going uh business and customer focus i think uh understand under, understand context understand your business understand the market i think that's the key i think uh obviously great really know how to do projects okay and state manager no methodologies you know absolutely but i think you will be a successful advisor to the business and you will drive behaviors towards the best outcomes for the business if you truly understand that and i think um and and i think 
that's where I think uh, the you know the best project managers will start looking at things like systems thinking and analysis skills and everything else, because um, they can go in then and really understand and absorb context um, and really understand the business, uh, understand the market that they're working in, because that will ultimately you know, help them drive the best solution. So I think think outside of projects, <laughs> absolutely, as we talk about the project is not important. Um, that would be for seasoned project managers, um, get yourself to understand, understand business, understand the markets, understand what makes money, understand what pleases customers. Uh, that's the key. Brilliant. Last question, and I'll let you get back to your evening. Mm. Um, thinking back to your early days at uh, Standard Life Bank and um, that first project that you were managing, whether it was the one you remembered you were managing or one that you realize now looking back that you were managing, <laughs> what, what would you say to yourself on that first day um, in project management? What piece of advice would you give? <laughs> uh, don't be precious. It's not about you. Don't take it personally. Um, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that'd probably be the key. Have a thick skin and uh, uh, everyone's different. Everyone there's probably, you know, as we go to point, everyone, everyone has good intentions. Everybody wants to do good work. So, yeah. That'd be probably that'd be my, my thing, uh, and, and probably again, probably probably the worst thing I did but there was sweat every detail because you wanted perfection and you wanted to like everything. So I think, you know, um, you know, have a thick skin. Don't be precious. Don't sweat all the detail. Just think about the bigger picture and people. Um, we get too tied up in ourselves as project managers. Uh, again, thinking we're the most important people, or you know, trying to do, think about every single detail and trying to be per perfect. And it's not possible. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice to me. I spent many years over worrying. Probably <laughs> got me. I aged before my time, and I got many grey hairs before I should have um, did doing it. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I think yeah, yeah, that. Um, uh, I think as you say, it's it's um, it's hard not to though. I think for a lot of people. It, yeah, absolutely. I think you've got to find the fun in it. You've got to find the fact that actually you're doing something big. You're trying to create change for a reason and you're doing it for generally for the first time and probably everybody in the team is doing it. So see if you can all admit that <laughs> and to some extent admit you don't know what you're, don't know what you're doing and, and, and work it out together and have some fun along the way. Um, I think that's the key and that's why you, you can't be too precious. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that's it. Your gr the grilling has finished, Craig. Thank you very much for... Um, being so generous with your time uh, and coming on. And as I said earlier, we will get you back on to dive a bit deeper into the um, in, into Shark Terror and the AI stuff, I think, because it's I think it is something that is well, it fascinates me. So there you are. That's a good enough reason as far as I'm concerned. Um, if no one else likes it, well, um, I think <laughs> I'm sure there will be some people who will um, find food for thought off the back of that when we do that one. Uh, so, yeah, all this is thank you very much and have a lovely evening. Thank you, Nigel. I've found lots out about myself through it, so thank you very much for uh, grilling me. <laughs> Have a good yeah. evening. Cheers, mate. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Craig. Um, as I said, earlier later on in this month we're going to have Adrian Belegion so keep an ear out for that um, 
and have a check on social media. Something I forgot to mention in the news was that, again, we have seen a big increase in the number of listeners. Uh, So uh, a welcome to all of you uh, who are are new, whether this is your second or or, or even first um, podcast that you've listened to by these guys, so it's brilliant. Um, I do urge you to go back over the the back catalogue because there's some fantastic guests uh, I've been lucky enough to talk to. Um, And, yeah, if you are... As I always ask about sharing the podcast, I'm assuming that people are sharing, and I've seen quite a bit on social media, and I've been tagged in. Um, please, um, thank you very much for the ones who've done that, and anyone who wants to do that, that would be brilliant, uh, and I'd love to uh, hear from you and your opinions on the show. So if you have any thoughts or questions, ping an email to uh, PM, uh, sorry, to uh, well, you can, actually, you can send anything at nigelcreaser.com, but if you write Sunday Lunch Prod, Prod Podcast or Sunday Lunch Pod, it'll get to me somehow. Um, and if you would like to express uh, some support for the show, uh, we have a number of books I've mentioned before that are available. Pop along to nigelcreaser.com. You'll be able to find uh, the shop page there and links to the relevant bits there. Um, it's coming up to Christmas again and the 12 Days of Project is still available uh, to listen to uh, so if you uh, want to have a bit of a giggle and a bit of silliness um, uh, ask for that on uh, the relevant music streaming service that you have and uh, we have the Patreon page uh, pop along uh, you'll get a shout out um, and if you can spare the time, a review on any of the uh, podcast platforms would be fabulously uh, appreciated. Uh, but as ever, um, come back next week. That's the most important thing. And uh, I look, or next week, next time, should I say, um, I look forward to uh, sharing some more insights from these great guests I get. Thanks very much. Bye. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye.